Be advised that the content of this podcast is for mature audiences due to subject matter. You are listening to Romantic Truth with Josen, your host in Las Vegas. Join us in celebrating Black History Month this February. One of the things I'm always asked is, why do people in relationships go on dating apps to find single people who are not? Various reasons, of course, but one of the fundamental reasons has to do with them trying to take a vacation from their relationship in a way. In other words, they want to reminisce what they had in the beginning of their own relationship with someone else new. As if to say, I want a mulligan or a do-over. Now, they don't look at the mess they've already made with the relationship they have. Oh, no. Mm-mm. That would require too much thought. Instead, what they'd like to do is just to go forward. And one of the main reasons why people do this has more to do with the fact that they're not happy with themselves. Now, they'll blame it on their partner, but let's look at a few facts here. It takes two people to be in a relationship. If one is vested into the relationship and the other one is uncomfortable or not happy in it, both of them made a choice to be together. So, if one is miserable, whose fault is it? It's the person that's still participating in it that's miserable. Because the other party is going along like things are fine. See, the onus sometimes is actually on the partner that's not satisfied for them to bring it up. Now, you have this passive-aggressive move that some people will do where they'll go silent. And they will rebel in their actions. You've seen some of this before, I'm sure. person may not want to sleep with their partner. Uh, They may want to be preoccupied with other things. There was one lady that wrote me, and she and her husband had an argument over a bill. And she got so upset with them that she moved out and slept on the living room sofa and refused to go to bed with him. And he actually wanted to swap up where she'll go to the bed at least because she was his wife and he'd take the sofa. She said no. Well, he kept pushing the issue and he thought that she was going to the bedroom in order to prepare the bed for herself. Instead, she went on and packed her things and left the house. He wrote me trying to figure out what can he do in order to get her back. Well, that's a very difficult task because being that she's not communicating, it's hard to say. So see, just because you're mad at someone and you shut down on the communications, you're just as bad as the person you're mad at in the relationship. You see, the weight falls on both sides of the equation. People don't like hearing that because usually people want to have it weighted on one side where they're the good person with the white hat 
and their partner is the bad person with the black hat. And sadly, some people stay in these dysfunctional relationships. Now, one thing you want to do, of course, is try to be happy. And some people try to make them happy, themselves happy in miserable situations. It's a shame when you know you could do better or do different, but you choose to remain to take on the same task over and over in the hopes of it getting better one day. Sometimes it doesn't, and that causes problems as well. We're all look, always looking for an ideal situation or a perfect situation for us. And I would tell you time and time again, get the word perfect out of your vocabulary. That's a myth. Look, if everything was perfect, we wouldn't have poverty. We wouldn't have infidelity. We wouldn't have death. So there are a lot of imperfections that we experience just on the place we live called Earth. So how can you expect it out of another human being who's only an inhabitant, just like you are? We have to also look at some other things, some other aspects that really come to mind. Some people actually don't like the fact of being in a relationship even though they may be in one. And what I mean by that, they may love the beginning of the relationship. You know, it's just like when you have sex with someone for the first time. You're anxious, you're motivated, you're ready to enjoy it. And then after you've slept with that person for about a month or so, it now becomes rather routine. It's because of the fact that you have to adjust for normalcy in the relationship. And normalcy, believe it or not, is complacency in certain degrees. Now, complacency is a little bit different from stabilization. Stabilization means that both of you are benefiting from the relationship as you go forward with your routine. Complacency is when you know you could do better and you chose not to. And you decided to stay in a situation that's uncomfortable, that's not really beneficial to you, but you stay there for the sake of, you know, whatever. A kid, it could be for the sake of the lifestyle you live. But what it comes down to is you're placating yourself for a reason. And then you give yourself a little bit positive reinforcement by saying, well, it could be worse. I could be with someone who beat me. Or I could be with someone who kicked me out of the house. And so you may justify a person who doesn't love you, who buys you things and just to shut you up. And that's enough. And you're satisfied with that. And then, of course, we get to a reckoning at some point. Been in a relationship for a while. You start to realize it's going nowhere. This is one of the reasons why these shacking and living in relationships usually end in about 10 years. The reason being, one of the two parties usually does not see any progression in the relationship. 
the sex becomes mediocre as that person sees it. They realize their partner may not have the ambition or the goals that they would have, and then they may feel as though they don't have any ambitions and goals because they had to pace themselves with their partner. So they start feeling like a failure, and they start looking at their partner as such. And then they want to change up, especially if they're looking to the left and looking to the right and seeing some of their peers do better than they are, or at least what they perceive to be better. And therefore, that gives them the motivation to decide to clean their act up. One thing that you gentlemen will face out there when it comes to dating are women who made bad choices in men or bad choices in situations with men. And they've been in those relationships for a prolonged period of time. And a lot of them aren't married. And another thing, too, to keep in mind, many of these women, to a certain degree, may feel as though they don't deserve to be married. Then you have others that try to marginalize marriage by saying, well, you know, it ain't nothing but a piece of paper. But what people don't look at, marriage is actually a sign of respect. It's more than a piece of paper. What that person is showing you is they're willing to get into a contract to commit themselves to you for a certain part of their lives, or if not all of it. But yet, it just may be efficient for you guys just to sleep together and live together, play house. And then you only get concerned after something may happen if you have an unfortunate death with your partner And then that partner may have children with some other person or they may have bequeathed things to other relatives and leave you out in the cold. See, the assumption for some of you is that you're living together with this person. If something were to happen to them, you'll inherit everything. Not necessarily so. Because you don't know what your partner has done as far as who's going to get what when they pass away. It's for a man or a woman. So these are things you have to think about. And ladies, let me tell you something. If you're with children and you've been married before, you're far more marketable to have another marriage or relationship than those women who haven't been. Now, the reason why this is occurring in many circles is because men look at it from the standpoint of she was good enough for somebody else. She knows what marriage entails. She can honor a commitment. And therefore, it makes her more creditable. Think of it like this. If you were an employer, and you were going to hire somebody for a position, would you want someone with the experience that already has a credential? Or would you want someone who said they could do the job and they have the experience? You get more longevity and more value out of the person that has the commitment. 
the credential. Now, why so? You look at corporations. When they sell these companies, the reason why they want high-value employees with degrees, it helps them as far as if they were to sell it. They would get more resale value because you got to remember, employees are the most valuable asset in the company. That's the most expensive asset that most companies pay for. So therefore, there's value added, intrinsic value. And this is where you have to look at your partner. But we get into a cycle of marginalization. And the reason why we do that is because we'll deal with the status quo because it's an easy bar to make. And you wonder why so many people walk around in circles after relationships, after relationship, after relationship, after relationship, wondering why they're going nowhere. And oh, they got plenty of people to blame. They can blame the guy. They can blame the girl. They can blame everything under the sun. But it's the lack of initiative and incentive. That's the core problem. And that can be based on a lack of confidence. That can be based on shame. There are a lot of things. Environment. Past situations. I've known of people that could not be successful because if they were successful, that would mean that they would lose their peer group, their friends. So they'd rather be mediocre in order to fit in than to be exceptional and grow out. Now I grew up in the poorest poorest state in the United States, Mississippi. Ranked last in everything. But here's what I didn't do. I didn't embrace that sense of failure associated with the statistics and everything with me. I had to separate the two. It's not where you start, it's where you finish. And so you have to push yourselves in order to go beyond mediocrity. And sometimes people don't want to do that because it's too much work. It's too different. It's out of their comfort zone. Some people have a comfort zone in failure. They would rather a relationship fail than to see it successful. Because they have a conviction that Hey, I don't deserve a relationship. I don't deserve for it to work. Why should I try? It's going to fail anyway. But see, there's a difference in that mindset if you already know your capabilities and you know what you can and can't do. But if you don't try, you never know. And a lot of people don't try. I remember in Mississippi when my mother went to pick up this kid, Upward Bound. The young man had a 4.0 GPA in all courses. He was in high school. And they lived out in this place where 
There was nothing but cotton fields. The house they lived in didn't have any windows. Had a front door. And it used to be on a plantation. Mom and Dad ran the farm. They'd pick the cotton, grow their own food, kill a chicken if they had to for dinner. And the dad was determined not to let his son leave home. Barely wanted him to go to high school. The only reason why they wanted him to do that was because he was the only one in the house that could read. And what he did one day, my mom came down, talked to him, and he was a senior in high school there. And they made an arrangement that he was going to go out in the fields with his suitcase. And he was going to put his suitcase in the cotton field. And the next morning, he was going to act like he was going out there to get ready to go and do the harvest. And instead, what he decided to do was take his suitcase. And my mom and the lady with her parked on the side of the road. He got into the car. And the man was crying. He started talking about how his father was going to get him. Talked about how he missed his mother. He didn't come home for about four years. Stayed at Tougaloo College, graduated. Got him a good job down there in Jackson. Then he came back to visit his father and mom. His dad was incensed, wouldn't speak to him because he felt as though he betrayed him, lied to him, went against the norm. But that young man was able to go and put windows in that house. He was able to get them a toilet inside their home. He was able to take care of his family. Father was embarrassed. took his dad to the grocery store for the first time in their lives. He didn't realize how many different varieties of food and things that were there because they'd always stayed there on that property. His daddy worked the land as a sharecropper. His father's daddy I'm talking about. His father's daddy worked that land as a sharecropper. And his father's father was a slave there. On that same piece of property. Folks, sometimes you got to do difficult things in order to be successful in life. You got to take risk. And you have to establish what your risk tolerances are. But if you don't try, you will never get out there. A lot of you ladies that have been divorced, some of you who have never been married and got swamped with three or four kids by different men because you were making poor decisions. Some of you think that it's too daunting out there. Nobody wants you. 
but you got to try. The easiest thing in the world to do is to throw up your hands. And you see, you have a lot of people that are looking for an exact fit when they go out for a dating app. They're looking for someone to be the perfect person that they've imagined that individual to be. Again, you got to take perfection out of your vocabulary. It doesn't exist. It only exists in your idealism and in your mind, but not in the reality of things. We'll talk more in a moment. Some people actually go out to look for a partner that have some of the perfections as they see it that they don't have. In other words, they want to do a makeover of themselves but through a partner. And sometimes that's not feasible. Most often it isn't. Because they may have other weaknesses that you both may have and other strengths you both may have. So it's a trade-off. Another thing that comes into play is a lot of times we may have this idealism of that ideal partner to have all of these attributes, all of these qualities. But you have to factor in character, behavior, situation, and results. Because these four things are going to be essential for you to understand the person that you're going to be with. Because, see, the character had to originate from somewhere, whether it was through their formative years, through past experiences, or a compilation. And then you have to look at the values associated with that exposure. The values they took from that. And then the standards they implemented from those values. And then the preferences they have within those values that would lead to their boundaries. Now, the other aspect of this that you have to consider is that many of these people that you will meet would not be an ideal fit. And that would be things that you to say, oh my God, I can't tolerate this. In the hopes of finding someone that you can more or less get along with. Someone that you can tolerate some of the behaviors, idiosyncrasies, and other proclivities they may have. But if you're looking for someone that has absolutely none of the above that would be offensive to you, you're going to have a rude awakening. And the sad thing is, as we get older, we get more fixed in our ways, in our belief systems, in our philosophies, and therefore we try to overlay it over everyone, thinking that Everybody is not measuring up. You see some women that do this, as well as men, but you see a lot of women that do this 
especially when they're younger. But they don't go that deeply in their thoughts. It's more or less the physical attributes, financial attributes, all of the shiny metal objects that would attract them. And they think that's sufficient. She gets pregnant. Then all of a sudden she wants to know about his character, his behavior, his background, and all the rest of these things. All of the essential work she should have done well before she slept with him. They have an idea of who she's sleeping with. But she's motivated by the cosmetics, the aesthetics of things. Now, don't get me wrong, men are that way too. But the difference is with a man, as I told you before, the one quality that he wants to get out of a woman when he first meets her is the physical attribute. And a lot of you ladies get stuck on that thinking that that's all the man wants. No, that's just the start. You see, what you have to realize is that with us, we look at what we can get out of the relationship when we're going on those percentages. Like, you know, some of them say that you want, you know, 60% of a person, 80%. Well, we look at the physical attractiveness at about 40%. So we know we got 40% in our favor by the woman we chose based on her physical appearance. So now we got to hustle for the other percentages to see whether or not she has the kind of character we're looking for, the standards, the values. That's how those other percentages are measured. Because we want 65% if we can get it. And by the way, 65% of anybody is actually a good number. I know some of you want 80, some of you want 90, some of you want 100. You're pipe dreaming. Because those four characteristics I told you about, character, behavior, situation, and results, each of them are different for different people. And you're going to wind up dealing with those four things with anyone you meet. And the fifth one, of course, is the X factor the things that they haven't told you about themselves that you have yet to learn. They're not going to tell you that until they're comfortable with you. So this is really the risk that you take when you get involved with someone. Now, another thing too. Part of it with women when it comes to their sense of idealism, comes from some of the misguidance of their fathers. You find fathers that will pamper their daughters, sometimes even to the point of making his own wife jealous. The wife gets in an argument, the daughter will get his attention no matter what, the wife can't get his to talk about a certain dispute. And he's going out there buying her new things all the time. Daughter gets a new car. Wife gets his old one. And there's a sense of resentment and jealousy there and envy in a way. In some cases, I've seen it where one person called her daughter the other woman. 
because her husband was spending more time and money on her than his own wife. His wife wanted to go back to nursing school. Instead, he paid for the daughter's tuition to go to college. His wife wanted a new car. He bought his daughter the new car. And there was a lot of animosity. And then when the daughter graduated from college, got her a job, and came back home just to get her start, the relationship between the mother and the daughter was very, very heavily damaged. She couldn't wait for her to get out. And what really added insult to injury was when Dad decided to cut the daughter a check for her first and last security deposit for her first apartment. And the wife was envious because all this time she wanted the things that the daughter had. But the dad was so worried about the daughter failing and becoming a victim and being dependent on a man that he went and put that extra effort into his daughter without thinking about some of the sentiments of his own wife, her mother. And sometimes that's a problem. Now, that same girl would probably someday wind up meeting a guy where she's going to think of him being like her father. And she's got a skewed view of reality. We see so many women go out and wind up like this. The Pollyanna effect. Thinking that men are going to be like the father. And what they have to realize is that dad is trying to protect an innocent little girl. Because that's what he sees throughout. No matter how old she gets, no matter how tall she gets, she's still his daughter, his little girl. So the protective nature of the man is going to always prevail in that regard. She's going to bring her boyfriend home to dad to meet him. Dad's going to give him the once-over. And hell, mom might even try to encourage you to get with the guy so that you can get your ass out of the house so that she can have a husband back. But what you have to remember, though, is this. When it comes down to fathers, sometimes they overdo it. And they could be so kind, so coddling, and so supportive that they leave her at a disadvantage. It's the same thing you ladies face when you deal with mama's boys. But mama has coddled him so long. And then when he gets out there, he thinks every woman's supposed to iron his clothes. Every woman's supposed to cook his meals. Every woman's supposed to just have the house clean 24-7. Every woman's supposed to take care of the kid and change the diapers. Because he feels entitled. I had a friend of mine, he had a newborn. 
with his girlfriend. They weren't married. She was trying to go back to school. And he said, no, you need to take on a second job. We need the money. She said, well, if I go back to school, I can make more money, and then you won't have to work so much overtime. Nope. He wanted her working. When I went to visit him, I had to quit visiting him because it was pissing me off of what he was doing. Kid was walking around. Kid would poop in the diaper. He wasn't going to change it. He'd go and hand the baby over to her. Take care of that. It was their child. Child was innocent. Child didn't ask to be there. But he thought since he was the breadwinner, that the only thing he had to do was come home, open up a beer, have his supper ready, and sit there and watch TV. Go to bed and sleep with his wife. Well, eventually she got tired of it. Came home one day, she and the baby were gone. Moved in with her folks. He begged for her to come back, try to talk to her parents and everything. They said, we're not in this mess. She wanted to come back home, she can always come back home. She went on and went to school and got herself together. Never asked him for a dime of child support. Gave him visitation. All thing he did was party and messed off his money. Hanging out with us in the clubs. Wife went on, got a pretty good job, bought her a house, found her a new man, and went on with her life. But he always felt like the victim. She left me. She thinks she's better than me. And he felt like a failure. You see, the reason why you have a lot of these mass shootings and so forth with these males has a lot to do with these guys thinking that they failed in life. They have no hope, no optimism. It looks bleak for them. A lot of them don't even have girlfriends. No wife. And they feel as though they're isolated and the only person left on the planet. Nobody wants them. These are the people that need to get in therapy early. These are the people that need to talk out some of the frustrations they have. Broken homes. Bad childhood. And they think the only way they can actually respond is through violence. And what happens? We go through that cycle. Every time there's a mass shooting, people go to the gun gun shops, buy up guns, thinking that the Democrats are going to take their guns away from them. They don't talk about the accidental shootings that take place with people who are responsible gun owners. No, they don't talk about those so-called responsible gun owners, some of them. They don't talk about that. Some of the people that are really emotionally and mentally unstable to even have one. I 
And we have to look at these things. I was looking at a stat on the news not too long ago. The majority of non-lethal shootings in the United States are by black men. That's a humbling statistic. It also means that a lot of people didn't go to the gun range. But that's beside the point. It means that we have to work on conflict resolution in our society in general. You don't resolve conflicts with a weapon. The only thing you do is become an enemy of the state. You know, um, one of the sad things that I've witnessed in my life has been people who have given up on themselves when they haven't even tried. You see, here's the thing. When you try and fail at something, you can point out where you went wrong. When you don't try at all, you never know. And you remain ignorant, even of your capabilities. Some of you right now listening to this podcast are great, probably in math, science, medicine, and don't even know it. You haven't pushed yourself to even try. And the hardest thing in the world is to take that first step. Then you have people with a defeatist attitude. Oh, they ain't gonna give me no job because I'm black. They're not gonna do this because I'm this. They're not gonna do this because I'm that. Well, if you had a defeatist attitude, it's gonna be a self-fulfilling prophecy because people only reflect what you show them. There are people right now that many of you probably know that you could really help them through a certain situation if they needed a job or something like that, but it's their attitude that would reflect negatively negatively on you if you showed someone who could help them that you were associated with that person. And so you let that opportunity just go fallow. Because, see, the incentive and the motivation has to come from the person. That's the reason why a lot of you ladies that are looking for change in a man, it has to be organic. He has to implement that change. You're complaining, you're yelling, you're fussing. There's nothing to him. Instead of making him more interested in implementing that change, what it actually does, it infuriates him and makes him want to double down on his position. How many of you ladies have yelled at your man about taking out the trash? I'll get to it. But then again, he should be responsible enough to tell you the reason why he's not taking out the trash at that time. Honey, I'll get it before it's too late. 
I'll get it before I go to bed. That would be a commitment that he has to honor. I'll tell you about the time when I went over a friend's house years ago and they had trash bags in the kitchen. I mean, full trash bags, several of them. And I got there. Her boyfriend's sitting there watching TV, talking, asked me if I wanted a beer. I just got up and picked up the trash and went and threw it outside in the trash bin. He's like, oh, I was going to get it. I was going to get it. And my friend, the lady, she told me, you know, it's been almost a week. I've been trying to get him to throw out the trash. She said, I would have thrown it out, but it was too heavy. And he got offended by it. You just can't be coming in my house throwing stuff away. And as I told him, she's the one who invited me over. She was my friend before she met you. Not only that, this is her place. So I'm throwing out the trash for her. And then he started on that old tired ass, well, I guess y'all must have been sleeping together. I said, no. Mm-mm. I said, she's like a daughter to me. He was threatened by that. But here's the thing. If you're not communicating and you're not being considerate of your partner, you're losing the battle altogether. If a woman feels comfortable with you guys, let me tell you, she will sit there and tell you everything she's thinking. Because women are sociable. When she shuts down, that's when there's an issue. When she puts you in isolation, isolation means that she will go and do the things that she normally would do around the house, cook dinner, wash clothes, those kind of things, go to work. But there's no emotional connection between the two of you. She's not carrying on those casual conversations. She's not talking to you about things that would stir up controversy. Most of her questions will be binary, a yes or no question. That's not going to help you at all. See, that macho man hyper-masculine persona that shit is made for other men it's not made for women it doesn't impress women and those that are impressed by it let me tell you what happens with that it's good on the surface for many of them oh they like the manly man the macho man the man feel protected and secure by until they get into the relationship with them and they see the insecurity he has that's where disrespect started coming in. Because 
a lot of them had fathers that were the man of the house. Hypermasculine. But mom had to put up with the shit that dad had laid down for her. She got treated pretty well usually. He looked out for his little girl. They have a knockdown, drag out argument with the mama. I see that little girl may have a skewed impression of how dad is going to be when she marries. So she goes for the guy that was like dad, the macho man that was barking orders. Until she winds up in a situation like her mother. And she goes to her mom and says, how do you put up with this shit? What, do you, what did you do? A lot of women go down that track. We'll talk more in a minute. I remember one time, there was this lady I was going out with. And we had a talk one evening. And we were talking about our family and our upbringing, that kind of thing. I was telling them about my Aunt Hazel. When she'd come to the airport down in Mississippi, she was living in Chicago, and she'd come down. And she had this thing she used to do with her dentures. She was able to slide her dentures out, clack them together, and cross her eyes. And it would always make me laugh. And she did it one time when the baggage handler was getting her baggage bags off of the uh, conveyor belt down there at the uh, airport. And she did it when the man turned around. He looked at her and he looked at me and he just busted up laughing and just shook his head. But what was interesting was the fact that With this young lady's mom, we had a talk one night. Because she wanted me to meet her mom that evening. And I heard this young lady talk about how wonderful her dad was. Well, her dad wasn't in her life, but until he was, she was around eight. And her mother, because she was talking about how wonderful he was, and her mother said, her dad was not a wonderful man. She said, you don't know how many times on that kitchen floor in there I had to wipe up the blood from the beatings I used to get so that you wouldn't have to deal with it. She had a skewed perspective of her father. And she was embarrassed by it tried to correct her mom. Her mom said, no, you're in my house. I'm going to tell you exactly the way it was. And she would tell her. She said, the beatings didn't start until after you went to bed at 8 o'clock. You see me the next day? I'd have a bandage over my face. I had to go to the hospital a couple of times. She was talking about how she had lied to her and tell her that she failed or something like that. She was dealing with a violent alcoholic. 
that didn't want to go get help. And one thing she told her that resonated with me was, she told her, she said, whatever you do, if a man hits you or disrespects you, call you out of your name, you're leaving. And I told her, I agree. That's what my mother told me. I should never hit a woman and never speak to her in a negative way like that. Calling her a bitch, whore, whatever. The thing you have to understand, folks, is this. People come from different backgrounds. And they have different perceptions, even in their own families and families about people. And I know we like to draw that congruency like, your family is just like my family, etc., etc. You don't know that. You could be in the same geographical location, same race, live in the same zip code, go to the same grocery store, work at the same company, and still be light years apart from each other. Based on a lot of factors. We use our superficial superficial preferences as a filter. Sometimes that doesn't work, as we know. It varies. Now, there are another thing that we need to look at, too. Coming into your own. Being yourself and not a follower. You know, I get on many of you. I'm not your leader. I'm not a guru. I'm not a rocket scientist. I'm a person that goes through the same things that many of you have gone through. No different. I'm human. Not an excuse. It's a reality. So what that means is that you all are leaders in your own lives. You're not a follower. I don't mind you following the show. I don't mind you following us on romantictruth.facebook.com. I mean, facebook.com backslash romantictruth. I don't mind you doing that. But when it comes down to you as a person, you have to be your own leader. Because the only thing these people that are doing that you're following, many of them are following somebody else. You have to come into your own. You can take certain aspects of people to compile yourself. That's how most people make it. You look at Michael Jackson, the way he used to be able to dance. You got some moves from Jackie Wilson, James Brown, Barishnikov, Jeffrey Daniels from Shalimar, Michael Peters. You can go down the list. And he put together a show based on a compilation of all of those. I never forget when I came to LA, went to see him at the Victory Tour, and he was singing Billie Jean. And the lady was with me, and she was like, 
oh, he's doing the tallywhacker. I said, honey, that's not the tallywhacker. That right there, that dance he's doing, that is called the mashed potatoes. That's an old dance from the South. Everybody was enamored with the spacewalk, the moonwalk. The first time I saw that was two years before Michael even did it. By the guy, Jeffrey Daniels. A friend of mine's sister was dating him at the time. And I saw him spacewalk across the carpet. And me and my friend Mike, we tried doing it. Damn it, took, took up the man's rug. Couldn't do it worth a damn. Next time I saw it was with the electric boogaloos out of Long Beach. And then, years later, Michael was doing it. But it was called a backslide years ago, back in the 1920s and 30s, in vaudeville. And they even got it from slaves who used to do it. They were house servants. He used to backslide out of the room after they had served the food. Folks, what it comes down to is this. You could be original by taking certain aspects of other people to build who you are. Those are the building blocks. Because even if you try to be exactly like your parents, good parents will usually try to force you to be better than they are. They'd want you to do more. And this is where your personality has to shine. That's one thing I thank my grandparents for. They had 10 kids. Each of those 10 kids had a different personality, a developed personality. My Uncle Reuben, he had this dance. He used to put one hand behind his head, another one around his hip. And he'd go and dance something all shook, you know. My Uncle Herschel, six feet eight, doing the mashed potatoes. They all had different ways. They had a knot, Thelma. If you broke a verb around her, ooh, 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 ooh. Mm. Oh, she'd correct you and could roll those R's. Each one of them had qualities that they developed in their own personalities. They took the core from their parents, from my grandparents, and they expanded them. And that's what you have to do as people. It makes you more dynamic, more sociable, more marketable. And you have to take self-doubt, put it in your back pocket, and sit on it. You see, there is no reason for you to carry self-doubt for one reason. And that reason is, there's so many people out there to tear you down. They're already there. And the worst thing you could do is go and take that self-doubt and put it around your neck like it's a necklace. You got to put it aside. 
You don't have to gaslight yourself about how great you are. Just appreciate who you are. That's the start there. Be thankful for who you are. Because some people aren't. There was a lady I was thinking about dating out in Beverly Hills one time. And she and I became good friends. We met at a coffee shop. And the interesting thing about her, I later found out she was one of Monica's friends. She was obsessed with plastic surgery. And this was a gorgeous woman, just naturally. She's one of those women that didn't have to put on any makeup and look beautiful. She could go into a damn grocery store and before you know it, every man's trying to stop her. But she was fixated on self-doubt. She wanted to look like one of those women, Cindy Crawford and the rest of them. And she didn't have to. I used to tell her, you have your beauty in your own right. I don't know why you're doing this. Well, I'm just going to get this done, that done. And religiously, she was under the knife. Until she looked distorted. She had these huge breasts. And they had the things on the side where they could put air in them. And her skin was being stretched. And it looked horrible. Had an unnecessary facelift. Botox injections in her eyes and in her lips, on, on her eyebrows and in her lips. And before it was over, she looked like a mannequin. And what she would find would be a lot of the guys that used to want to talk to her and have a relationship. She ran the guys that just wanted to sleep with her, just for the novelty. And she couldn't figure it out. After thousands of dollars in surgery. <laughs> you got to be comfortable with who you are. And understand, this is your life. It's the only one you got and the only one you're going to live. The afterlife is not guaranteed. So you got to live it to the fullest. As it is. Yes, there'll be certain things you won't be able to fix. I know you want a tummy tuck. You want to get rid of the damn uh, handlebars on the side. You want a butt lift. You want a boob job. But there's somebody that can love you just as you are. And you don't have to do a damn thing. But the thing you got to do is have confidence in who you are first. And love yourself. You don't need affirmational quotes. I remember I went to one therapist's office, a friend of mine, and she had all these aspirational quotes on the wall. And she said, oh, that's my inspiration every day. And I asked her, I said, well, wouldn't it start with you? She didn't want to answer the question.
I remember her before she even went on and got her degrees. She was always fixated on helping other people, fixing people. Finding a man and she's going to rebuild him. Make him better than he was before, like the six million dollar man with Steve Austin. Remember that? And then they had the Vinic dog, and that's when they jumped the shark. See, a lot of TV shows did that. I don't know if you guys remember, there was a show years ago called Mannix. Joe Mannix. He was a private detective. You can look him up on YouTube. M-A-N-N-I-X for you younger folks. He would get his ass whooped at the beginning of every show. He was always knocked out in his office. And his secretary would be the one to come in. Joe, are you okay? Yeah, Peggy, I don't know what happened. I know what happened, Joe. Somebody waited in your office and whooped your ass before you got there. Expectations. Now, sometimes... We have expectations of people that we put on them as burdens because we don't want to do some of the things ourselves. I'll never forget this lady that was obese and she wanted a man with a cut body, six-pack abs and all those things. And she would always get upset and frustrated because none of the guys would ever want to sleep with her. And she's like, I don't understand why. I'm a good person. You just got to get to know me and my personality. I said, yes, but what you also have to realize is that visually, you may not be what they're looking for. Don't say that. I said, it's true. She didn't want to hear that. Because it ruined her narrative. You see, part of knowing who you are It's also know your limitations and to be self-aware. That is a key component to your existence. Because when you're self-aware, you know what your limitations are. I knew back in the 90s I couldn't get in a ring with Mike Tyson. You know your limitations. I don't give a damn how much money they would have given me. What the hell was I going to do? Try to outrun him? (laughs) You stand in front of that man flat-footed, your ass was whooped. There was no ifs, ands, or buts about it. He's one of the few boxers I've ever seen that knew how to use his body and his size to his advantage. If he had a longer reach, he could always breach that. He knew exactly how to position himself in the ring. But folks, what I'm telling you is this. With that sense of self-awareness, it resonates. It's an admirable trait of characteristics that you carry that attracts people to you. You wonder sometimes, ladies, why that woman that may not be so sensual and so attractive and so uh, loving why she gets to men it has to do with the way she carries herself on one podcast a while back I was talking about uh, we were talking about Jolie Lee 
which is a term used in Quebec and different places, of someone that's kind of moderately attractive. And the guy was talking about how he really wasn't into her because she really wasn't attractive, but she was attractive sometimes and other times. Those kind, those kind of women, they get men all the time. And they ride on that curvature of kind of being attractive and not being so attractive. And it works to their advantage. They become more intriguing. We're going to talk more in just a moment. Now, in conclusion, we look at idealism. And we may have a narrative in our head as far as the kind of person we want. But we also have to assess the person we need. And we have to see if there's a correlation there. Because you can go too extreme on both sides. We want something that's striking right in the middle. A balance. When it comes to communicating with your partner, you have to create and foster an environment where they can speak freely to you without you rearing up and getting on your hind legs and getting upset. Where you can hear them out. And then where you can respond. That person's going to be your partner. That means that they're not somebody on the street that you talk to any kind of way or treat them any kind of way. And I tell men all the time, never, ever, ever put your hands on a woman unless it's to caress her face or to hold her close to you to give her a kiss. There's no other reason. I don't care how mad she gets. You can always call 911 and you're not a punk for doing it. You're saving yourself from going to jail. In your life, you want to protect the five things that are vital. Again, your freedom, your wealth, your mobility, your decision-making skills, and your reputation. Because most people that meet you, they're going to base their interaction with you on those five characteristics. So you got to have those intact. A lot of times, folks, we wish for something in someone else that we wished in ourselves. And occasionally, it may do you good to write down some of the qualities and the things you would like in yourself that you think that you're missing and can find another person. That will help you far more than you think. I know thinking for you before you love is difficult for some of you because you are emotional. 
men and women. But you gotta look at the logic, the feasibility. Can the relationship work? Can I deal with this? And don't ostracize a person when they're honest with you and tell you the truth about themselves. They may have something in their history or may tell you something that you weren't expecting of them. Don't criticize them. If anything, compliment them for making it through and for identifying whatever it is that is going on with them and acknowledging it. Because there are some people who won't. I had a friend of mine that met this lady. And uh, when I say a friend, sometimes they're loose friends, sometimes they're close, but most of them are people you meet in the club and places. And we'll see them every once in a while, and they say, hey, man, you know, uh, I'm going to talk to this one girl. And there was this one lady that would come in all the time, and she was dressed to the nines and good-looking, sharp and polished, until she got to the bar. Once she got to the bar, it was all Cuddy Sark and Jack Daniels. And he told me one night, he said, you know, I'm going to talk to her, man, and I'm going to get her off the bottle. I said, you realize you can't do that by yourself? Oh, man, I got this. Help for over with, he became an alcoholic. Both of them got in trouble for drunk driving. DUIs. Because when you're dealing with someone with an addiction, I advise you strongly to go get some assistance. Don't try to do it by yourself. If the person said they've been three years sober or whatever, support them. Don't try to taunt them or tempt them. It's about respect and it's about sensitivity. That's what it's about. Because some people are really afraid of being vulnerable, men and women, in relationships and exposing how they feel and the things that are going on with them because they're afraid it's going to be weaponized against them at some point. So they keep it to themselves. A lot of you write in and ask, well, why do you talk about these things? These are things are personal that you talk about about yourself. Because the thing is, I'm comfortable with who I am. I love myself. I'm not vain or nothing like that. But I'm loving the person that I developed myself to be. And it was a hard road. but I had to work at it. Some people don't like being alone. I don't have any problem being alone. The reason why is because I like the person I'm alone with as well. That's the reason why I don't get bored. You never hear me talking, oh, I'm bored, I don't have nothing to do. Mm Mm-mm. No. I look at it this way. 
I'm fortunate enough to be alive. I'm fortunate enough to be healthy. And what am I going to complain about? Because it could be a hell of a lot worse. A hell of a lot worse. Sometimes you got to look at the situation that you're in right now and think about that you're better off than some other people. Not that you're better than they are, but the circumstances you're dealing with in life in general may be petty compared to others. There are some people out there that wish they had your problems. guy I used to work with had to file a major bankruptcy. Millions of dollars. And I was empathetic. But I said to myself, I'm complaining about my bills. And I couldn't even think about the gravity of what he was dealing with. Everything he had worked for went up in smoke. And then I learned not to attach my things to material things as much. It's nice to have and use nice things, but for the most part, I'm not going to center my existence around them. Because there's an appreciation of life that spans far beyond the gratification of owning things. Sometimes we don't think about the gratification of ourselves. The thankful, the thankfulness of who we are as people. And that's what we have to do. I know in this world it's very competitive and everybody's about the money and about all of this other stuff and the trends and everything. But those people are never going to be around for you. They're not going to help you with a bill. They're not going to help you try to sort out your life in many ways. They'll give you a whole bunch of platitudes. Then there'll be those that will rejoice when you fail at things. But here's the thing. When you try in life, whether it's a relationship, a career move, education, or anything else, when you at least try you know what you have to do to be successful because you know what helped you fail. But when you never try, you don't know what it was. You don't know what you could be. As I told you before, when I was in junior high school, there was a guy by the name of Constance McCarty and another guy by the name of Samuel Grant. I didn't know how to shoot a damn basketball or anything when I met them. And then I started playing the game. And then Constance told me, he said, man, you should try for the team. I'm like, man, I'm not that good. I can't try for no damn team. Well, I tried out for the team. Almost made it, got cut. And then I asked myself, did I play to my fullest potential? The answer was no. Tried out for the team again and made it. 
And then with that, I started building my confidence in what I would do every day after class. I'd work on my jump shot, work on driving to the basket, work on my free throws, work on my layups. Got a volleyball and started learning how to dunk. I said, hell, I think I can do this. Then I graduated up to a basketball and started dunking. Then I said, oh, yeah, I'm in this. Went on. Did okay on the, on the junior varsity team. Got on the varsity team for the next two years. And we won two city championships. Back to back. Because it was a talent I didn't think I had. And it was confidence I didn't think I had in that talent and in myself. But I worked at it. And getting cut the first time, that gave me the initiative because I knew what I didn't do. And what I didn't do was apply myself like I should have. Michael Jordan got cut off the team in high school. And he went and tried out and got it again. Because he ventured out and realized where he made his mistakes and he worked at it in order for it to develop into a career to become one of the most phenomenal basketball players ever. But I gotta admit, I do have my favorite, Dr. J, Julius Irving. See, folks, well before the NBA, well, the NBA was around, but they had a thing called the ABA, American Basketball Association. And you had teams like the Buffalo Braves, before Kansas City, uh, before uh, Sacramento Kings came around, it was the Kansas City Omaha Kings. You had the Washington Bullets. You had the Virginia Squires that Dr. J used to play on. And I remember watching him one night. And he took off from the top of the key and he flew to the basket. And I told my mom, I said, Mom, this man just picked up the ball and flew. Son, he didn't fly. I said, yes, he did. They showed us the replay. She said, he did fly, didn't he? I said, yeah. And I studied him. Studied the game. Watched the way he played. And when he played against the Lakers that time, when he went down on Michael Cooper, he took off and he was rocking the ball in the air and slammed it. You can see it on YouTube. And when he went on the baseline and went out of bounds and reached back and did the finger roll into the basket, it took the cake. What I'm getting at, folks, is this. You got to push yourself in order to be successful in life. I'm not talking about to outdo somebody else. I'm talking about for your own benefit. Damn everybody else. You got to have the tenacity and the gumption so that you can be more marketable out there for the person you, you strive to get in your life. And for your own sake first. It's going to benefit you in the long run. Because when you feel better about yourself, you start treating yourself better. When you start treating yourself better, you start living better. When you start living better, you start treating each other better, and guess what happens? People want to be around you. 
And when people want to be around you, it's because you're making them feel better, because you're resonating what you're putting out to them. That's the way it goes. And what you're going to realize after you become successful at whatever endeavor you try, there are going to be naysayers. You don't have to sit around and say, well, those, those player haters motivated me to do better. No, the motivation comes from you. You're your own sun. You know, like we have the sun in the sky, how it radiates? You're that. You're that light. And that's what you have to do. But then there'll be some friends you're going to have to leave behind, some people you're going to have to leave behind because they can't grow with you. Some of you are in relationships where you've outgrown the person you're with. And some of you know this, but you're afraid to act on it. It's understood. It's not a call to action. As long as you're aware. That's key. But the one thing you don't want to do is to be on a deathbed and regretting some of the things you haven't done in life because you never challenged yourself. I'm glad the earth is as small as it is because I wouldn't have been able to travel to the countries I did. If it was the size of Jupiter, hell, I'd probably only go to one or two places there. That thing is millions of miles. Your damn flight would take you almost a year just to go from one city to the next. Be thankful for what you have. And take the tools that you have and enhance your life with them. I gotta go, folks. Nature's calling. But I'll talk to you tomorrow. We at Romantic Truth appreciate your listenership. Listeners, you're invited to stream and listen to Jawson's music on Apple Music, Amazon Music, Spotify, Audio Mac, or Deezer. Type in J-A-U-S-A-N in the search for artists to follow and like modern instrumental music from his discography. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those solely of the host and are not condoned or endorsed by Romantic Truth, Anchor or any of its affiliates. The advice given herein is the expressed opinion of the host and not to be used for legal, marital, or family, counseling, or for professional practice purposes. In the event for professional assistance, please contact the local licensed professional family counselor, marriage counselor or social services professional in your region. If you need someone to talk to in regards to help, you may contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255, available 24 hours. All correspondences read on the show have been pre-screened and pre-approved by the submitter to be aired on the show. Be advised that all of the background music of production not provided by Anchor is owned by James Adams and Jaws and One Music exclusively licensed for this Romantic Truth podcast under waiver. Please understand that there were no people or animals hurt in the segments of this show including plants. All sound effects were improvised in the studio setting with props. 
We are an equal opportunity employer with two Yorkie Poodles and a Rat Terrier as the security detail. Please be advised that the content of this podcast is under copyright by Romantic Truth and James Adams.